0: You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of creating one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. The Right Process is brought to you by the Writer's Program at UCLA Extension, helping you reach your writing goals one page at a time. Enroll now at uclaextension.edu.
1: Hi, I'm Miguel Murphy. I wrote a book of poems called Detainee.
0: Miguel Murphy is the author of detainee, and A Book Called Rats, winner of the Blue Lynx Prize for Poetry. Of detainee, poet Paisley Rechdahl says, in detainee, the body is a deeply unsafe space. Like Saad, Murphy teases out the theater, politics, pain, and yes, erotics of cruelty, forcing us to recognize that love, at root, is a dirty game where shame, perversion, and disgust are not vices to be hidden, but overcome.
1: I mean, when I think about poems that matter to me, they feel like solace, you know? I mean, when you read something as bleak as Robert Frost, Desert Places, it's not, I mean, there's nothing particularly happy about that poem. And what makes it gorgeous is this kind of, is the solace of that musical despair. Uh, my process is really fragmented and, and l- lengthy, so it, it really is a total disaster. Like, if you look at my desk at home, it's just like uh, the backs of—I re- mean, I have to trick myself. Everything's on, like, backs of receipts and parking tickets and napkins that I used with my piece of toast in the morning and because it's the last thing, really, that I want to do. And so it just comes out in, like, little partial phrases or a sentence or a line or something that I like— this month I have about 20 pages of just crap where I'm just like, <laughs> it's just a total disaster. And maybe maybe in a month or six months I might have a draft of that poem that's maybe two pages or three pages and then maybe five years from now. And I, this is what I've learned is that maybe five years from now I might have something that's half a page long. Maybe, if I, if I can get through it. And then it won't matter to me anymore. It's it's not fun. You should be a mathematician. So it was my late twenties, and I it was a very vivid and exciting time in my life. But it was also kind of um, curiously solitary and painful and um, exhilarating. And I mean, I lived. I moved to Venice Beach, and I lived on the beach. I was preoccupied with fetish as an idea and as, as something that worried me and it and part of it had to do with coming into a sexual identity or the psychological reality of, of being a sexualized person and coming from a family that was incredibly religious and trying to figure out trying to find my way through things that felt atrocious that I knew about but I didn't really understand. I don't really I'm not someone who works out of inspiration very much. For me it's just always been this practice of discipline and God knows why. I mean who I mean who fucking knows why you sit down and decide that you need to write a poem. I mean it's just so absurd and 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 painful and exhausting and ridiculous and it's not particularly fun. So I I don't even know that I have a good exa- answer for for why I do it, but I certainly don't I mean, it's so rare that you write something that is mostly finished in, a f- in a f- one of the first few drafts. I mean, that's, that just never happens. Maybe, I guess for me as a reader, I've always been interested in work that's maybe a little bit more transgressive. For whatever reason, those kinds of works maybe speak more like poetry to me, and so I guess in my own process when I'm writing, I'm after something that will matter to me in my private life. I don't know why, but I'm really obsessive when I'm writing the poem, and it happens in such a great place of solitude. Like, there's not really, I, I, you know, you write one poem about something, and then <laughs> you're not sure if it works, you write two or three about it, and suddenly you've got, like, you know, 180 pages, 200 pages of it, and so the the early version of the book was just this this massive uh, tome. I mean, I don't even really know how to talk about it. The the very first draft I remember was just this huge, and I just thought, is this really a book of poetry? Like, does anybody want to read all this? And I think it even had this. I think it even had an epigraph from Antony and Cleopatra. I mean, really, within a year, I kind of pared it down till to it was, you know, maybe seventy or eighty pages, and then I kind of lived with that and sent it out, maybe or five, six times a year for a good decade. Um, and every year maybe I would tweak something. I mean, I think by the end it was really just this kind of very tight manuscript. Um, I was obsessed with numerology, so I knew what the center poem is and how many poems were in each section, and, you know, like, the numbers were important to me, <laughs> the page numbers, etc. It's Part of the joy of trying to put a book together is, is thinking about how all of these poems make sense together and and all of the work it takes to to begin to see where you're just redundant and how you can pare back so much of what feels important to an individual poem that may not matter to a book of poems. So for me, in, in a single poem, I can be incredibly ornate. Like, I like, uh, and this might just come from my background um, as a... As a musician, as a child, I mean, I played piano and, and trumpet, and so all of these musical patterns mattered very much to me. And when, I, when I'm when i interested in, in poetry, that musical, I think, training, maybe? I'd like to hear repetitions of threes. I'd like to hear some staccato. i like to hear those kinds of things in line breaks. So in one poem, it can be this really incredibly ornate thing where I'm listening, you know, I'm sort of mapping out where I hear these sounds three, four, five times in a row until I move to the next one, and and in a in a book of poems, it's too much. You can't. It doesn't. It doesn't translate. You. It. You. It's. It's sort of like you've got this kind of. Uh, it's like you're putting your your face in a in icing. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. So then, when you've got a handful of them together, you you start to pare that back. I feel like I'm incredibly technical. I mean, I I really think through every sentence and every line and every word and every piece of syntax but that is very easily said and it's not so easily done my early traps are a total disaster I mean they're just they're effusive and I foam at the mouth and I'm like this rabid dog that doesn't really know what he's doing and he's just sort of like and and then and then when you the reason why I hate talking about or it feels so embarrassing is because people have this expectation of of poetry and, and a poet that they know what they're doing and I don't really think that's true I don't think there's a single poet out there that knows what the fuck they're doing they just they're they're working through something I mean it's such a quandary right I mean on the one hand I, d- I don't want anyone to read them and on the other hand I worked so hard to get them <laughs> published so what does that mean I don't really know I mean I for me it's sort of like the that lost library of Alexandria. I mean you for some reason I want a book in there, but I don't necessarily need anybody I know alive to know them. Sensuality confuses me. I mean I think there on the one hand there's the sensuality of of the language itself of particular words I mean you know I just was mentioning Desert Places by Robert Frost and he's got that great word smothered all animals are smothered in their lairs and it's just this beautiful line where you just it just I mean when is someone going to smother me you know like it's just it sounds so great and then you look it up in the dictionary and it's like, you know, you put a, a pillow over a baby's face in the crib and you smother it to death. And so there's this weird conflation of these two impulses, and and it's upsetting. I mean, you 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 could cry over it. And so to ask about sensuality in the book or this idea of passion it makes me really uncomfortable. I mean, it's it's at the heart of my worry about poetry in general, because when I'm, when I'm alone and writing, those issues come up. I don't know why. I mean, they, that's just seems to be, I'm like, I'm just not, you know, uh, Larkin has this great line where he says, um, depression is for me what daffodils were for Wordsworth. And, and, you know, for me, it's not either of those two things, but it's this other preoccupation that's, that's even more troublesome. And I, and I don't know why. And it's just, that's the way it is. I mean I I wish that I ha- I wish that I was a poet who could be funny and who could have like you know cute projects and I'm going to do a whole book about I don't know something interesting and readable but instead I'm kind of like this disgusting person which in the end I think we all are and we don't we just don't ever talk about it and and where else can you talk about it except in poetry. I mean, I know people get interviewed and write essays about those things, or write books on psychology about those things, but I'm not interested in understanding it, per se, as much as being curious about it. My earliest experience of poetry is things like prayer and and the old Testament. I mean honestly, like it might that's if I go back far enough, it's sort of like my Irish father trying to have us memorize prayers and and having to go to Catholic school where you're at Mass every morning and go through the you know, the the incredible to me all of that, the ceremony of the Catholic Church is incredibly sensual and erotic. There's so much eroticism to it. And and I think a lot of that maybe comes out in this in this collection where Part of the preoccupation is that there's a kind of hypocrisy to the language of of eroticism, uh, and because we use the same language to be as vulgar as we do to be to to think about what might be sacred, and and so those things get conflated without us even really thinking about it. You know, so then you have these. Incredibly worrisome. I mean, there, there, a lot of the fetishes that happen in the book are, are just so uh, worrisome. I mean, they, they. How do we make peace with the idea that you know? It's very nice to come in here and we have this conversation and talk about poetry and we go out in the world and you, you see people in traffic or people are like helping you at the DMV and everyone feels basically recept, you know, respectable and. And then you read on the news about this parents who've got you know 13 kids locked up in a basement, or or you know the the gymnastics coach who's raped 150 you know athletes uh, when as children. So what do you? So the preoccupation of the book is, is in part part of that that the language that we use for for things that are erotic. Um, we use the same language for things that are taboo, and 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 disgusting, and filthy, and 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 revolting. And I mean, I get really apologetic because I'm embarrassed by those things because it's not it doesn't belong to the vernacular of conversation. But it's, the poem, the poetry doesn't apologize. And I, I think in, in that way, if you do your work, your poems never have to apologize. And you, I mean, I don't apologize for the poems. I mostly just apologize for my own insecurity and my own dilemma of being a person and being incapable of like being in the world and so so the process of trying to of spending a decade to try to get the book published was debilitating really I mean my first book got taken I think within the first year that I sent it out so very fast and and that was before there was really a sense of acclaim about publishing that there is now. I mean, nowadays people, you know, you get something, you get a draft of something and it's all over Facebook. And and <laughs> back then it was just sort of like you did it and it happened and and you didn't really have that kind of visibility unless you won. And even the people who won, you know, one of the three big awards then didn't really have a lot of visibility. So, so, but after a few years of that you know 3 or 4 years of sending it out to all the contests and to any open submission period then you get to a point where you just don't know like maybe it's not a maybe it's not supposed to be a book and maybe it's not going to get published and maybe that's it uh you know and i think it was really important for me as a person because what i got i learned from that process that what i get out of poetry has less to do with 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 the visibility with having a final product i mean i do it so that i can be alone with the work and make something out of my time and for my time and um and that's good enough i mean i think that's what poetry is useful for and and meaningful for you know what the process was Long and debilitating and depressing and expensive. It's incredibly expensive. I mean, how many thousands of dollars do you spend just trying to get something published? So it took forever, um, and then it happened, and I was thrilled. And then you, and then you realize that you are beholden to a press. And then you know, even when it when it gets accepted, that's a whole other. <laughs> you know, the life of a press is is something completely different. I think a lot of writers don't even realize it until you're in that process of editing with the press who, who has specific things they want and then suddenly you have to justify everything you've done and um, have to make an argument for it and which I think is a good thing in the end but it's it's as stressful as just trying to get it published so I worked with the press for the full year we went through serious debates about language in the book and editing, and um, in the case of my press, there is an editorial board besides my my editor who's really great um, there's an editorial board who also had a say and wanted changes and so then I had to kind of dig my heels in and decide what I could live without and what things I thought might make it stronger. I actually liked the rigor of of that exchange, but um, I think that if i didn't have a, a strong enough Sensibility. If I hadn't worked so hard on each poem to make them what they were, I I think it would have been very easy to be convinced that it should be different. So that was surprising because you think once you get it accepted that that's the end. They're going to publish it and everything's great. I mean, and it's just, that's not really true. When the press puts it together and then you see what's on an actual page and then you turn the page and you've got like, you know, a couplet at the end that goes on the next page and you realize oh I don't need the couplet because in the book I can end on the bottom of that page and it it just that restraint uh, goes a long way and it sounds very easy to talk about it but it's actually really painful (laughs) I mean it's really painful to be like I love those lines I really worked hard for them they make sense to me I don't want to give them up and then you have to give them up because you just you just know um that it's better without them, and then they go nowhere. They just they just go into the dirt or to the ether or something. I mean, who cares? I mean, so much so much of writing is just throwing things away that you love. Um, Faulkner, Faulkner says, "Kill your darlings." That's you know, kill them off. I mean, I mean it really is. You're sort of like, well, why, why am I a writer if I can't keep all these kind of great little moments? And kind of in some ways, it's because the poem has nothing to do with you. In the end, I mean, it really is. There there are these kind of autonomous autonomous little functional n- music boxes and they don't really care about you. The older that I get the less I understand about um, why I do it or w- except that I get lost in the process of, of making an individual thing. I think that the process is everything. I don't think you ever have to publish a poem to get something out of, of trying to make something that stands on its own. I mean, and I think in that way, it's like other art, you know, I mean, you, you can be a failed painter or sculptor or try to write a song and maybe you, you write something in your journal and um, and and the writing of it has helped you get through the night. But I think that that, I mean, part of being an artist is is being lost in that process. And I guess that's why I don't mind being in the classroom to talk about it, because it's not so much how do you how are we going to get to be poets, quote unquote, with a capital P, and get books published and publish poems. It's how do we be alone at night with the world and, and, um, and a line or two. So I'll read some poems from Detainee. Self-Portrait and the Nightmare of a Dog. Self-Portrait and the Nightmare of a Dog. I was trying to remember the torches, the perversion, that fiery sea writhing around them. In the trees, how torturous black waves craved light when they murdered him, burned him in the orchard. Like speaking to a darkness when you most wanted love. Green night, goat man, white-haired in the orchard. What happened to that boy last week here on my beach the young vagrant. In their ceremony, they sodomized, then left him naked in the sand, like Lorca in his unmarked grave. Motherfuckers. Who were they? What are they doing here inside of me? I was trying to remember what they did to his dog when they cut off the head, cut out the tongue in front of him. It felt like rain cut to pieces. I was licking the wound with my dream. I was running inside toward that animal, part of me, thinking only the dead can know how the knife spoke across the dog's throat, how the red word murmured into the sand, a dark beauty, a master joy, flesh, a net of starlight, wounded and gold. Brightness branched across the water. From my window anyone cannot see a blue swarm. Shining river, the mind is blackness listening, though it knows, like a glimpse streaming into the underworld, the town lake down out of sight. If we want to embrace Absence A cocktail party will do Fat olives The dark sparkling Cherries dipped in rum Drinks Splashing their brains Against the cold Blue-violet Velvet Sky Our loves Our loves Our loves never Come back and that is why, in our sicknesses, we don't know how to live with the dying windows. Here is the last tangerine light, its rind. With friends, with chaos, with, Sh- with Shostakovich, with you. We toast our lives. We listen for the river we can't see. Pitch the bleeding cherries at the glass in our drunken tantrums and weep for ideas, the moon and its musical permanence. We enjoy our eyes dissolving like aspirin, as if remembering, once gazing at the city stupefied, by this snug warmth hovering even under our fingernails, enjoying. Again, like a silence, after love making, the darknesses in the bodies we have known. O oh, pale flickering embrace! O oh, synapse of our death sleep, unscathed, heat undraped! At least Shostakovich was a moth, fearing death like a sensualist. Into his hands coughing sad blue threads and mists one of us will vomit eventually like a demon but we'll hold him hold him in our arms and shave his head in our hands lying the fragile collapsed husk of his body down in the cool white sheets like our beloved signing our curses upon his chest tonight will keep up the violent calling of our spirits, kissing his eyes, touching our breasts, pledging our own names against the ground. Self-portrait in a prayer to Jean Genet. His look was a harness, the burnt gold, silence of a church or a night alone in prison. His face a chalice filled with primitive sadness. How the myth is pleasure. His mouth agape, empty as a stone. How fear is quickest prayer. That false no, that ring of hell where we sing, where we drink, and cannot stop our thirst. Self. On the inside, you're nothing. How I knew I could be shown this, crying, defend me, saying, get on your knees. The embrace, true and warm, as the darkness of your personal grave.
0: The Right Process is produced by me, Charlie Jensen, at the UCLA Extension Studio. Audio support and editing were provided by Jamie Moss, Eileen Keegan, and Hannah Sutherland. For more information on the Writers Program, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.